Please turn in your Bibles to our scripture text this evening. It is Psalm 137. Psalm 137, probably one of the more difficult passages of scripture to deal with. And uh, I'm not saying that I will say everything or answer every question that you might have about this psalm, but we will be uh, working our way through it, and we're going to put it in the larger context of Scripture, in the theme of Babylon, the theme of Jerusalem as well, because both cities are named in this psalm, and both cities play an important role in further biblical revelation uh, all through the history of the Bible, and including the New Testament, and also is concluding in the book of Revelation. Psalm 137, verses 1 through 9. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept, when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, where there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, Lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Here we end the reading of God's Word. That's a song of revenge. It's a prayer of revenge. It seems to us, and someone mentioned to me a, a few weeks ago that these imprecatory psalms seem so out of place to us, partly because of our American experience. Most of us have grown up in security and safety, in a measure of, of prosperity. We haven't had to worry about things. Oh, I remember growing up during the Cold War, and my dad actually uh, was a, a civil engineer who went to school to learn how to build bomb shelters. Remember bomb shelters? Yeah, we lived with that threat, but we never actually experienced that. We went through Korea, we went through Vietnam, but those were foreign wars, and people we knew might have gone over there, but most of us didn't. Hardship and the hardship of captivity, the hardship of defeat, the hardship of seeing your whole way of life destroyed and being taken away from your home, none of us, I dare say none of us, have experienced that. 
This psalm comes from the experience of the people of Israel, and particularly in Jerusalem, as they were being taken away captive to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar had actually the defeat of Israel by Nebuchadnezzar was almost an afterthought. Nebuchadnezzar actually came to fight a war against Egypt, and he defeated Egypt, which also meant bad things for Israel, uh, for Judah. The northern tribes have already been taken captive and dispersed, but the southern tribes of Judah had lasted for quite a while longer. But now, after defeating Egypt, and Egypt was tied to Judah by treaty. They, were, they had what, kind of what we would call today a, a mutual defense pact. And by the way, Judah was roundly criticized by the prophets, by God, for doing this. Why would you put your trust in foreign pagan nations when the, God, when, when the Lord is your God? And of course, they found out that Egypt was no help at all. In fact, since they were allied with Egypt, when Nebuchadnezzar was through defeating Egypt, he turns his sights on Judah. And he had already caused much trouble. Judah was, in many ways, already under Babylonian influence. But they were rebellious, and they were allies of China. So they had or not China, uh, Egypt. What? Uh, you know, at a certain age, the brain turns to guacamole. Uh, I happen to like guacamole, but but not in my brain. Um, so Nebuchadnezzar turns his sights on Jerusalem. He lays siege to it, and a siege is a terrible thing. Slowly, the city is starved. Slowly. The people run out of food. Slowly, they begin to die. The slowness of it is part of the torment of a siege. Eventually, Nebuchadnezzar breaks the walls and he destroys the temple and he carries off most of the people into captivity, and that captivity will last for 70 years, as God had told them through the prophets, that it would be 70 years. Apparently, on the trip to Babylon, Babylonians mocked the Judeans, sing us the songs of Zion. Sing us one of your little songs, Jewish people. Why don't you put on a little song and dance for us? This was not meant as kind of a cultural exchange. This was meant to mock. This was meant to increase the pain of their captivity. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Everything that was at the center of our lives, the temple, Jerusalem, temple was not just a building, it was where God manifested his glory. The temple was a place of worship. The temple was at the heart of everything that Judah existed for. And now it lays in ruins. 
and our people are taken away. What makes this even more bitter is they understood that this is a result of their sin, of their idol worship, of their compromise, of their unbelief. It has come to them as God's judgment against them. Had they listened to the prophets, it could have been avoided. But they would not listen to the prophets. They turned stony hearts against God's messengers and persecuted them. And then the psalm begins to parcel out the hope for retribution. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites. What, where does this come from? The day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. Where does that come? Well, it turns out that when Nebuchadnezzar was turning his sights toward Judah and, and setting up the siege around Jerusalem, the Edomites, who are distantly related to the Jews, remember, they have common ancestry, but the Edomites are cheering the Babylonians on. The Edomites are, are helping the Babylonians. It's not the first time that Edom has fought against and tried to, to hurt the people of Israel. A little insight into this. Let's turn in. There's another passage that we're going to read. It's the 35th chapter of, of the uh, book of Ezekiel. There's a prophecy in this chapter against Edom. And it has to do with this very thing, that when Jerusalem was laid bare, Edom helped and Edom cheered. Ezekiel 35, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it and say to it, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Mount Seir, and I will stretch out my hand against you, and I will make you a desolation and a waste. I will lay your cities waste, and you shall become a desolation, and you shall know that I am the Lord, because you cherished perpetual enmity and gave over the people of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their calamity, at the time of their final punishment. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will prepare you for blood, and blood shall pursue you because you did not hate bloodshed. Therefore, blood shall pursue you. I will make Mount Seir a waste and a desolation. I will cut off from it all who come and go. And I will fill its mountains with the slain. On your hills and in your valleys and all your ravines, those slain with the sword shall fall. I will make you a perpetual desolation. Your cities shall not be inhabited. Then you will know that I am the Lord, because you said, These two nations and these two countries shall be mine. That's what they said about the northern and southern kingdoms. They shall be mine. Uh, they shall be mine, and we will take possession of them, although the Lord was there. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will deal with you according to the anger and envy that you showed because of your hatred against them. And I will make myself known among them when I judge you. And you shall know that I am the Lord. I have heard all the revilings that you uttered against the mountains of Israel, saying, They are laid desolate. They are given us to devour. 
and you magnified yourselves against me with your mouth and multiplied your words against me. I heard it. Thus says the Lord God, while the whole earth rejoices, I will make you desolate. As you rejoiced over the inheritance of the house of Israel because it was desolate, so I will deal with you. You shall be desolate, Mount Seir, and all Edom, all of it. Then they will know that I am the Lord. See, that's what God told the prophet Ezekiel to write. And it, it, the root, the foundation, the historical background of this prophecy is, in fact, when Edom helped, aided and abetted Babylon in its destruction. Now, we get a little more insight in that Edom hoped, once Nebuchadnezzar moved on, once he defeated uh, Judah and he goes back to Babylon, that Edom would become the owner, if you will, of, of the land of Israel and that they would take it over. But God had a different thing in mind. Which kind of also tells you something, too, that the captivity of Babylon of the people of Judah was not the final end of things, was it? God is still looking out for his people. God has said this captivity will last for 70 years and I will bring you back. Daniel, as he is in Babylon perceives from his study of the prophet Jeremiah that the 70 years are almost up, and that's when he prays his magnificent prayer of confession, because he's doing this in preparation for the people returning to their land. And he knows spiritually they're not ready. So he prays a beautiful prayer of intercession and confession on behalf of the people of Judah. Why would they include something in this psalm so horrible to contemplate? Happy is he, blessed is he, who takes your little children and smashes their brains out on the pavement. I mean, your skin crawls, right? I think of my little grandchildren that I just spent a week with. Oh, yes, they're little mischief makers, and yes, they, they love to tease, and yes, and yet the idea that someone would take them and destroy them in this way is heartbreaking. But again, there's historical context because that's exactly what the Babylonians did when they captured Jerusalem. They came in and they took the little children from their parents, and they went house by house taking the children, and slaughtering them in front of their parents. It's cruelty that's unbelievable. So this is a prayer for retribution. It's a statement of the desire for revenge. It gives us insight into the the unbridgeable gap between that which is wicked and pagan and unbelieving and the people upon whom God has bestowed his unfailing love. And I, I have to emphasize that because there are still many people that, well, God, God loved the Jews, but he no longer does. He's done. He's done. Even, 
even after 70 AD when they were destroyed. He's done with them. Now, now he works in the church. The church is the new Israel. The church is the new... We're done with the Jews. Really? Really? God makes it very clear in both Old and New Testaments that it is his reputation before the nations that will drive him to accomplish for his people what they failed to do for themselves. They failed in their faith. They fell into idolatry. They showed that they could not keep his laws. And so what does God do? He says, I will roll up my sleeves. I will make bare my strong, well, strong right arm. I'm left-handed. I will make bare my strong right arm, and I will accomplish what Israel cannot do. I will provide them righteousness. I will show them mercy. For my own name's sake, I will do this. It's not because of what he sees in Israel. It's because he is a God of unchanging, steadfast covenant love. The nations will not say that this God made a covenant with Israel and couldn't keep it. He will keep his covenant. And by the way, that same faithfulness that the Bible tells us that God has for Israel is the same faithfulness that he shows us every day. And that's why you and I can go to sleep in peace at night because God's love is unchanging. There's something about this psalm that propels us into the future as well. We talk about the two cities, Babylon and Jerusalem. Babylon has captured and destroyed Jerusalem and taken its people off as prisoners of war, as slaves. But there's a pattern that's set. There's one of these archetypal patterns here. Because Babylon becomes an emblem of everything that is evil, everything that is cruel and wicked and perverse. And yes, the, the, the nation, the culture of Babylon was steeped in idolatry and it was steeped in in false religion. Think of the, the three young men of Judah who were tested by Nebuchadnezzar. Bow down before my idol. Worship my image. Everybody else, let me, let me have the musicians all sound their instruments again. And when they do, everyone bow down. And what's with those three men in the back of the, of the audience there? They're not bowing down. Well, let's try it again. See, no, they're still... Put them in the furnace. By the way, God was actually quite merciful to Nebuchadnezzar. You read the whole story. God actually showed mercy, but it didn't last. And within a short time, this prayer of the prisoners of Judah is answered. It's answered when... Belshazzar is having a feast. And he is so full of himself. He's so proud of his nation and his people. Let's, I know, let's bring out the, the golden goblets and the, the ornaments from the 
temple in Jerusalem and let's use them in our drunken orgies. Suddenly there's a hand that appears to write on the wall, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Ufarsin. Well, what does that mean? Well, wait a minute. There's this old guy, Daniel. He, you know, he was of some help to Nebuchadnezzar and he's been around for a long time, maybe. And he's an interpreter of dreams. Maybe he can tell us. Daniel, what does it mean? You have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. This very night, your kingdom will be taken from you. And indeed, the Medes and the Persians fulfilled the prayer of Psalm 137. But it goes beyond that. Let me read you a, another passage. It is from the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah is a book that we don't often study, but it actually is a very important book. Zechariah, in, in many ways, uh, in many parts of Zechariah, focuses our attention on things to come and uh, the last days and, and so forth, things that well, God will do in the future. But an interesting and somewhat mysterious passage is found in Zechariah chapter 5, beginning at verse 5. And it really is a passage that tells us there's something more to Babylon than Babylon. There's something more to this image or this idea, this concept. In fact, let's put it this way. Babylon is not so much now a city, but a concept, an idea. Zechariah 5, beginning of verse 5, Then the angel who talked with me came forward and said to me, Lift your eyes and see what this is that is going out. And I said, What is it? He said, This is the basket that is going out. And he said, This is their iniquity in all the land. And behold, the leaden cover was lifted, and there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he said, This is wickedness. And he thrust her back into the basket and thrust down the leaden weight on its opening. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, two women coming forward. The wind was in their wings. They had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. Then I said to the angel who talked with me, Where are they taking the basket? He said to me, To the land of Shinar. That's another name for Babylon. To the land of Shinar to build a house for it. And when this is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its base. What is that telling you? God has wrapped up all the wickedness, put it in a basket. It tries to get out. He stuffs it back down in and puts the cover back on the basket. And then it's carried to its base, to its home, where it's going to be uh, ensconced, as it were, in its place in the land of Babylon. Wickedness finds a home in Babylon. This, again, is, is a prophetic, apocalyptic passage that tells us there's more to Babylon than just being a city. It is, in this passage, it is the place where evil dwells, where wickedness resides. Now, that leads us into my final passage, which we're using these different passages to kind of open up the psalm for us. 
And it brings us to the book of Revelation, chapter 18. We've referred to uh, the joy of the saints at the destruction of Babylon. We're introduced to Babylon, and it's called here Mystery Babylon. This word mystery indicates that there's a hidden meaning behind the name Babylon, and I think I think you get what that meaning is when you read the Zechariah passage. There is a hidden meaning. That's what mystery means, something that's hidden. There's a hidden meaning in the, in the idea of Babylon. In the context of the book of Revelation, you have two women. One is a prostitute, Babylon. The other is the bride of Christ, the church, and these two women are set in opposition to each other, much like Jerusalem. In fact, the woman is called, the, the bride is called what? New Jerusalem. These, these are antithetical to each other. The bride is pure, made pure by the blood of Christ, her husband. Babylon, the prostitute, is the home of every wicked, evil thing. They are antithetical, and the prostitute must be destroyed before the bride can be revealed in the fullness of her glory. So we come to Revelation 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo any more. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, 
all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls, the fruit of which your soul longed, for which your soul longed has gone from you. And all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud, Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and all seeing men, seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the seas stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth for in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more, and a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. The sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. The light of a lamp will shine in you no more. The voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more, for your merchants were the great ones of the earth." And all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on earth. That's quite a description. But I put it to you tonight, brothers and sisters, that this passage in the book of Revelation is actually the answer to the prayer of Psalm 137. Yes, Babylon was physically destroyed by the Medes and the Persians as they captured it, and they destroyed it much in the same way that Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed Jerusalem. But spiritually, what Babylon comes to represent, as laid out in the Zechariah passage, and what is represented by the imagery of Babylon mystery, the great prostitute, in contrast to the bride of Christ, the pure bride, This is the ultimate answer to that prayer. In fact, I don't know if you noticed as we read through Revelation 18, some of the same images and even some of the same phrases that we find in Psalm 137 are found in this passage. you think that's by chance? I don't think so. I th think that's perfectly intentional. The same God who inspired Psalm 137 it's the same God who inspired John to write Revelation. 
Just one thought. For 70 years, the people of Judah had to live in Babylon. They, they were told by God that they should actually seek the prosperity and the well-being of the city in which they live. They were to be aliens and strangers. And some of them, like Daniel and his friends, rose to positions of prominence in Babylon, but they were always slaves. They were always captives. They were slaves that might have influential positions, but that was the nature of, the nature of slavery in those days. You could still be a slave and still be a government official, but you were still a slave. Apparently, God's people live in Babylon, come out from her. God issues a call to the people, his people, living in Babylon. And it's clear that Babylon is a city, and it's also this concept. It's also the source of wealth and luxury. It's the source of sensuality. It is the home of everything that is wicked, just like Ezekiel said, just like the vision in Ezekiel tells us. Verse 4, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out from her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. It was a temptation for the captives of Judah to live for such a long time in a godless, idolatrous, pagan land and not fall into the sins of that land. Many of them did. Apparently, spiritually speaking, this warning is for us. We live in this world that is driven by Babylon, that gains its wealth from Babylon, that gains its moral character, its immoral character from Babylon. It is a world in which God's people are persecuted, and yet they are living in it, and they are warned, do not participate in the wickedness of the city in which you live. Come out from her. Paul puts it this way in the book of Romans. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. That's a statement to those of us living in Babylon. Well, I hope this helps put this psalm in not just historical context, but in a larger biblical and prophetic context as well. And it's a psalm that, while the imagery of this psalm is harsh and, and shocking to us, especially nice middle-class Americans, it is very much in tune with the spiritual dynamics of our times. We are aliens. We are sojourners. Babylon is not our home. We are destined for another city. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would understand the lessons here that the, all the Scripture coming together, many different passages, gives us insight and instruction, uh, 
rooted in the historical reality of the psalm that we've read, but yet transcending that history and teaching us about the world in which we live and the world for which we hope and pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is our prayer tonight, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.